to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Here's what God intends, and it is that the sexual relationship is to be experienced and enjoyed by a man and a woman who are married to one another. That's God's gift in that context. So that means all other sexual behavior outside of that covenant relationship between a man and a woman is prohibited by God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 in a message titled, The Flesh, the Kingdom, and the Cross. Now, here's Pastor Brian. I want to remind you that verse 16 of chapter 5 brought us to the the application uh, portion of the letter. So up until this point, everything has been doctrinal, it's been instructive, it's been corrective. Paul is setting the record straight with the Galatians. He's refuting the false teaching that they've been influenced by and just reestablishing them in the truth of the gospel. And so having done that, he, he now comes to the, the practical application. So based upon all of these truths that have been reestablished. This now is how you're to respond. And we looked at last time the exhortation to, to walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we want to carry on from that. And today we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the flesh. We're going to look at the kingdom of God. And we're going to also look at the cross and see how all of these things are tied together. But let me just remind you that that what Paul really established in those chapters prior to verse 16, he he just brought them back to the fact that that our relationship with God is not a legal relationship. It didn't begin that way. It's not carried on that way. Our relationship with God is based upon grace, and it is manifested on our part by love for God and love for one another, And it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And since we are born of the Spirit and indwelt by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, what Paul is reminding them is you now have a a new life. It's the life of the Spirit. It's a life in the Spirit. And so, you know, their tendency was to drift back into this, or they'd never personally been there, but they, they were drifting into this legalistic thing trying to bring in the, the law of Moses and trying to do their best to, to keep certain aspects of it. Paul says, no, 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 this is not the Christian life. The Christian life is the life of the spirit. And so he's, he's going to continue through the remainder of this epistle now to bring us back to the person and the work of the spirit. Now, let me just remind us that when we're talking about the Spirit, in verse 16, as we again referred to previously, 
he says, I say then walk in the spirit. Remember, he's talking about a person. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about uh, the third person in the Trinity. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is the one through whom we are to now live out our Christian life. So we're not left to do this ourselves, but we are actually empowered by the Spirit to do it. But remember, Paul also told us that there's a battle that's taking place. And it's the battle between the flesh, which is our old nature, and the Spirit. And the Spirit has certain desires and things that he longs for us to do, and yet our flesh is opposing that, resisting that, and so there's this battle that that takes place. But Paul tells us that we can have the victory if we walk in the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, in verses 19 through 21, he gives us a clear picture of what he's talking about when he's talking about the flesh. So he says, for the flesh lust against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. But now in verse 19, he he describes for us exactly what he's talking about so nobody uh, misunderstands him. So as you remember in the reading there, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, and then he goes through that, that list that we read there. Now we read today from the New King James Version I want to read you that same list, and I want to read it from two other translations, and then there's some clarification that we need to make as we we look at it for a moment. So let me read to you from the NIV, the New International Version, and this is how the NIV reads. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies. And orgy here is a reference to uh, drinking parties, that something that was common in those days. Now, let me read one more translation. This is from what's called the Moffat translation. And I just want us to get the full picture of everything he's talking about here. So Moffat translation reads, now the deeds of the flesh are quite clear such as sexual vice, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, magic, quarrels, dissension, jealousy, temper fits, rivalry, factions, party spirits, envy, murder, drinking bouts, and carousing. So these are, he says, the works of the flesh. This is human nature. That's what Paul is saying here. This isn't some you know, horribly wicked person that he's uh, isolating that you can only find a few of them here and there. Paul is basically saying this is, this is the flesh. This is human nature. Notice he says, and the such like. So this is not an exhaustive list. It's not complete. It's not everything that could be put down. But it gives you the general picture. This is our condition by nature. So when he says that the flesh is warring against the spirit, this is the kind of thing that he's talking about. Now, lest you think that maybe that's not why, right, you know, you might say, well, you know, come on, I, I, I don't feel like I'm that way. But the fact of the matter is, this is who we are in our hearts. Jesus, he told us the same thing. Jesus said that out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, murders, 
blasphemies. Jesus said the same thing. The Lord said this through the prophet, Jeremiah. He said that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or incurably sick. And the heart is not a reference to the physical organ in your body. It's a, it's a reference to the core of who you are as a human being and who I am as a human being. And this the, the biblical teaching is that we are sinners to the very core. And that all of these things, although we might not engage in all of the things here, we certainly engage in some of the things here. This is, this is the condition of the flesh. Now, there are two things that I wanted to give sort of special attention to that he mentions here, because these are two very relevant things for us right now. Not to say that they're the only relevant things, but he mentions sexual immorality and also sorcery. So let's just look at those two for a moment. So sexual immorality is the translation of a Greek word that is pronounced porneia. And the Greek word porneia is, it's a kind of an all-inclusive term. And it, it just covers the gamut of sexual things that God prohibits. And the question then would be, well, you know, what, what are those things? And we could go on with a long list, but I think the, the easier way to understand what Pornea is referring to is to understand what God allows sexually and then to know that Pornea is basically everything outside of that boundary. But here's what God intends, and it is that the sexual relationship is to be experienced and enjoyed by a man and a woman who are married to one another. That's God's gift in that context. So that means everything outside of that. All other sexual behavior outside of that covenant relationship between a man and a woman is prohibited by God. So that's what Paul's talking about when he refers here to sexual immorality. And then secondly, notice in the passage that we read together, there's the reference to sorcery. But maybe you noticed in the, in the NIV and in the Moffat translation, that word sorcery in the NIV is translated witchcraft, and in the Moffat translation, it is magic. The Greek word is a word that we would not necessarily associate with witchcraft, sorcery, or magic. We would associate the Greek word with illicit drug use. The Greek word is pharmakia. And if you just think for a moment, what does that sound like? Well, that sounds like the pharmaceutical industry. And that's exactly what the Greek word means, especially in our context. That's where we get our word pharmaceutical. But in the context of the ancient world, and also in certain places in our world today, you have this blending of these two things where with the, the witch doctors, the shamans, the, the idolatrous priest, and you know, all of the various religions, there, were, there was this combination. Drugs were always used in a, an aspect of their worship. And so that's why the word is translated sorcery or witchcraft. But in our context, of course, we would think of it more in 
regard to the the use of illicit drugs, and that's that's what it's referring to. And and I'm bringing this up for the specific reason that these are issues today that are very prevalent in our culture, and these are issues today that we have to recognize, both with sexual immorality and with pharmacia, that these are things that God prohibits. And it doesn't really matter what the culture says, it doesn't matter who's doing it or who's not doing it, that doesn't matter. And we need to be aware of the fact that that doesn't matter. So just some clarification there. But then also, notice how all of these things are in the same category, the category of the works of the flesh. Notice that the list doesn't start with, okay, here are the really bad sins right here. Let, let's name off, you know, the, the, the sexual immorality, the, the sorcery, the murder, the drunkenness. It doesn't have that order, does it? It, they're all lumped together. And it's important for us to see that because we tend to, in our own minds at least, and sometimes even in society, we, we tend to categorize certain sins as worse than other sins. Now, sometimes in the, the outcome of committing those sins, yes, the, the outcome, the consequences and so forth can, can certainly be worse. But from God's standpoint, it's all together. So there isn't this categorizing. When I was growing up in Roman Catholicism, the, the church actually did divide sins into categories. They did it for us. There, was, there were mortal sins and there were venial sins. And the difference between the two was mainly the mortal sins would send you to hell and the venial sins would just, you know, leave you in purgatory. But, you know, if you, if you committed a mortal sin and you didn't get to confession, and, and you died in between, uh, you were in, in big trouble eternally. But, but this kind of distinction is not a distinction that the scriptures make. So everything is here. Now, as I said, what Paul is doing here is he's really just describing human beings. He's describing every one of us. Now, you might say, well, look, I'm not a sorcerer. You know, I'm not a drug addict. I'm not uh, into, um, you know, any sexual misbehavior or anything like that. But when you look at the list and you see things like selfish ambition, you see things like outburst of wrath or you see jealousy or you see envy, you realize, uh-oh, I'm, I'm guilty of those things. So again, Paul's point here. And, and this is what I, I'm getting at. It's important that we understand what he's doing and what he's not doing. What he is doing is he's describing human nature. What he's not doing is saying this category of people, as he's going to go on to say, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying this category of people because they do this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying this category of people are the people who are outside of salvation. He's describing human beings by nature. He's describing human beings apart from the grace of God. He's describing every one of us. Now, moving from the flesh to the kingdom. And Paul says something here very important about the kingdom. Notice at the end of verse 21, he says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit 
the kingdom of God. Now, first of all, Paul's writing to believers. So he's writing to people that are already in the kingdom and they're heirs of the, the future fulfillment of the kingdom when it will come. So he's not saying to the Galatians, hey, you're, you know, if you're, if you're living like this, you're not a believer. What he's really saying to the Galatians is, this is how unbelievers live. This isn't how we live as God's people. And again, I think that's an important distinction to make. But, but I want to do two things here. I want to first of all look at what he means by will not inherit the kingdom. And then I want to look at what, who he says will not inherit the kingdom. So will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, to put it in the simplest terms that we can, it means they will not go to heaven. It means they will go to hell, actually. Now, this isn't the only place that Paul says this or gives this kind of a list. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, and also in Ephesians 5, we'll just look at the 1 Corinthians passage. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters. Fornicators is the Greek word porneia nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So notice Paul says, don't be deceived about this. The unrighteous, they will not inherit the kingdom. Now, inherit, as I said a moment ago, I, I take it to mean will not, to simplify it, go to heaven will not enter the kingdom. The reason I'm saying this is because there are some who say, well, inherit is not really a reference to whether you go to heaven or not. It's, it's, it's really referring to what your position is when you're in heaven. So that theological position, which I disagree with, would say that, you know, the people practicing these things actually, they will go to heaven, but they just won't inherit the kingdom. They just won't have a, a sort of a, a place of, real priority or blessing. And, and, you know, that sort of mentality is the man, mentality that just doesn't want to see anybody that's going to ultimately miss out on heaven. It's called universalism. It's the idea that, that in the end, everybody is, is going to be saved, whether they chose to be saved or not. And Jesus died to save everybody. Everybody's going to eventually get there. You might not inherit the kingdom, but you will, you will get to heaven. But as I said, that is, I think, unsupportable. I think Paul uses the term inherit the kingdom as synonymous for entering into heaven. So, but who does he say will not inherit the kingdom? Notice in verse 21, and this is very important to understand. He says, those who practice such things. Those who practice such things. I want you to note, he doesn't say those who commit such things, but he says those who practice. And this is an important distinction because what Paul is talking about here, again, he's describing the unbeliever. He's describing all of us by nature. He's describing how we live apart from Christ and the grace of God. And how did we live? Well, we practiced these things. This was our way of life. That's what it means to practice these things. It is 
Paul's way of talking about a lifestyle. This is a lifestyle that he's referring to. He's not talking about a person who stumbles and falls into these things on occasion. He's talking about someone who lives here. This is their life. This is where they are. This is, this, this is their habitual behavior. And I can say, and probably some of you can as well, that I know this by experience. This is where I used to live. I used to live in that realm of the flesh where these things here that he mentions are things that I engaged in. And quite frankly, this is just my way of life and I never really thought much about it. I mean, occasionally I might've felt bad if I really you know, hurt somebody in the process or something. Occasionally I felt bad, not always, but you know, I, I wasn't fighting against it. I wasn't thinking that I shouldn't be doing it. I was just living life and this is what my life looked like. And this is pretty much the way the world is, isn't it? When you look around us today, you know what we're experiencing today? We're experiencing today in our culture kind of just an unbridling of the flesh. You know, over the, the years and, and over even the, you know, the, the history of our country, this kind of stuff that is now becoming very prevalent and very much just the way it is, it's not that the current generation of people are more sinful than previous generations of people. It's simply that the restraints that once were upon the culture are being removed. And so as the restraints are removed, we're just seeing what's really inside of people coming out. And so he's reminding the Galatians that those who practice these things, those, in other words, who live in the flesh, those who live in the flesh are by definition those who are not uh, the children of God and heirs of the kingdom, of course, they will not inherit the kingdom. They will not enter into the kingdom. So we, in contrast to they, are citizens of God's kingdom now and heirs of the fullness of that kingdom when it comes. So what Paul is saying is we are not to live like those who will not inherit the kingdom. See, we live differently. We live differently because of the work of Christ, because of the work of the Spirit. This is how we used to live, but we no longer live this way. Now, let me just give a quick reminder in case it's necessary. God's standard hasn't changed. God's standard hasn't changed, nor will it change. God's standard is forever fixed. So going back to the things that we talked about, going back to sexual immorality. What God says about sex is the, the truth about sex. What the culture says about sex is not necessarily the truth. And I can say with confidence what our culture says about sex is not true at all. What God says about sex is true. And it doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what Hollywood says. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. None of that matters when it comes down to reality, because in the end, God will have the last word. And now let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So Brian, John Bonner, a missionary pioneer in Peru has written a book. 
He has written a book called The Myth of Coincidence, and it is such a great book. It's a small book, but you know how both of us love missionary biographies? That's right. Well, this is one adventure. I'll tell you, it's an amazing story of how, uh, you know, John's own personal life and some of the things that happened, some of the tragedy, his meeting Pilar, his wife in Mexico City, them being there during one of the big earthquakes, and then the Lord leading them into Peru. And now 20 years they've been in Peru and pioneering the gospel there, planted many churches. And I couldn't put the book down. It was a page turner. So John Bonner, And the title, again, is The Myth of Coincidence. And he just basically shows through the book that there are no coincidences, that God is at work behind the scenes. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner. You can order the book The Myth of Coincidence by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner, to help you understand that God is working behind the scenes in your life, too. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Galatians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.